Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, you're back from Indy. How was back, it? Back from Indy. Indy was a blast. I mean, it's about a six-hour ride, but it's all flat and easy, and the, and the weather was fine, so it's no big deal. We take the, the, the station's crappy old Jeep that has penguins and pirates and Steeler logos all over it, so people look at it funny on the whole way there. And then you get there, and it's awesome. I mean, I, I was on the radio four hours a day, there in Radio Row, and then hitting the bars and restaurants at night, and mingling and meeting people, and it was a blast. And one of the best things about it is, you know, I know a lot of people in this business, but I have never met a lot of them face-to-face. Like, I never met Evan Silva. We had dinner one night. You know, I sat next to him, and we ate a steak together and had a good time. And, you know, on Radio Row, Matthew Barry walks by. I grab him, and we put him on the radio for 15 minutes. You know, a lot of great co-sell people you know in the business. So it's a blast. I mean, anyone that hasn't been there should definitely check it out if you're in the biz. I know you were maybe not concerned, but maybe at least a little bummed uh, heading into the week that you might not actually get to see much of the players. Uh, how did that turn out? Did you get to Very see little. the on-field stuff? Not, not much at all, but when I got home, I had everything on the DVR, so I crushed that pretty hard and caught up in all those things. But when you're there, it was pretty tough. Yeah. You learn anything? Any insights you can share with us? I'm sure. And so I'm sure some things will dawn on me as we have this conversation. But we have a uh, two really good guests. There's four of us, a full house today from a podcast that I like quite a bit. We do. We do. We won't wait any longer. I know these guys have combine takes and uh, that's that's why we're here this week. We've got Matt Caraccio and Paul uh, Perdichese from the Saturday to Sunday podcast. Boys, how are you? Doing well. Glad to be here, Ryan. Uh, Matt, really excited to talk about the Combine. It was a busy four days. Uh, a lot of takes and uh, a lot of players, you know, stock up, stock down. You know, fun to talk about. Looking forward to it. Well, gentlemen, I I, I echo the same things. I'm fat. I'm fighting kind of the uh, the eyes closing as I kind of think about the DVR that I was I was crushing myself, Matt. So I can appreciate <laughs> I can appreciate some of that going on as well. So thank you so much, gentlemen. Always a pleasure and really excited to get talking about this. Well, you guys both absolutely crushed it throughout the combine. Um, Paul, I don't, I don't know how you did it, man. Thoughts on every single player? I think did you, did you miss <laughs> any players? Honestly, no. I, I think I, I pulled off every single player. The worst is sometimes the NFL Network coverage really was slacking a little bit this year, and without their online stream, it was like during commercial breaks. It was like I would they would come back from the break, and I was like, oh man, I got nine players to catch up on, and then these four guys aren't running the 40, and I wanted to share my thoughts on them, but it's all good fun. I love interacting with everybody on Twitter, gaining some new followers. Uh, it's just a blast. You did a great job. You both did. And we're going to try to learn a little bit more from you here today about uh, some of these position players, some of the guys that uh, our, our listeners and most dynasty players will care most about. And of course, we're going to start at the quarterback position. The, the story was all about Kyler Murray, which was kind of interesting considering he he didn't work out. Uh, of course, he, he, he got the measurements and that was a big story. I think people probably happy with his with his height 207 pounds though I, I heard some maybe some word that that was just manufactured weight that he had put on and and that's not his true playing weight is is there a concern Matt that maybe he's just going to lose that weight and and then back to that small frame that that we could be worried about uh yes but at least he showed that he could hold it and he didn't look bad and that's that's a common trick though i mean i mentioned you know being on radio row i actually sat down with santonio holmes and had a long conversation with him and he said all i did with the combine was try to look good in my underwear i didn't do any events i got as heavy as i possibly could as thick as i possibly could lost 20 pounds immediately after and ran a 438 or whatever you know so it's not an uncommon trick but I do think his height, his hand size, and the fact that he showed that he can hold that bulk, you know, certainly helped him. And I think he'll be the first pick in the draft. Polly, what do you think about uh, about the whole Murray saga? Yeah, I mean, let's. I mean, I think that what happens is that you know, he's, he's always played at that weight. So I think when push comes to shove, he's still going to play probably at that 190 or 195 weight. So I'm not sure it mattered too much. I think it, 
it sounded better for draft Twitter and for NFL teams, but I really don't think that it's going to impact him too much. I think he's probably going to drop it. He might get asked to get weight again at his pro day, but he's probably going to run and do everything at his pro day. I don't think it matters too much. He's played at that height, at that weight for his whole career. He's been successful and there's a lot of smoke and fire that he's going number one to the Cardinals. So I'm not sure if the weight or his workout is really going to matter all that much. That's a good point. There were some actually some negative comments about him today, about his work ethic, his attitude, leadership, some of, some of the things like that. I'm with you, Paul. I'm not sure any of that matters at this point. It seems like Arizona has their, their mind made up. Caraccio, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I'm going to kind of echo a little bit of everything what they said is, I mean, you know, one of the biggest things that I would say about Kyler Murray even going into this process, I, I think it's all about managing perceptions, and I think that's part of what the combine is. I think it's about the perception of what I've saw on film versus what I'm going to see in, in actual live testing. I mean, the merits with which I think it actually impacts, you know, your perception of their performance on the field. I think that really is going to vary from one person to the next. I, for one, when it comes to Kyler Murray, I, I subscribe to the idea of the player doesn't know what it's like to be six, five, nor does he know what it like to be 220 pounds. He's managed, you know, the game at a high level. And for those instances on film where you can equate the situation to what you see in the NFL for those NFL like problems that he's solving on the field. If he's doing that at a high level at his height, at his weight, then those are the critical things that I think should be the foundation of your analysis to begin with. So the management of weight, I think is managing perceptions, kind of like what Matt alluded to get as thick, get as heavy, get as big as you can, because that's kind of what we're looking for at that show. But I think at the end of the day, it's going to matter most what you do on the field. Ryan, I don't know if you know this, but like whenever all the scouts get in the, in the war room, they read a prospect, there's a picture of him in his underwear at the combine. So even though you know in the back of your head, yeah, he probably lost 10 or 15 pounds, you remember seeing him up on That's the stage right. and you sit there and you're looking at this photo of him, like the famous Tom Brady one, as you talk about the guy behind the scenes. So there is, you know, I mean, it's, it's, on, it's fresh on your mind. Yeah, that's fair. It's Murray is... Like we said, seemingly locked into that QB1 spot for now. We know Dwayne Haskins will be the second quarterback off the board. At least I, I think we know that. I guess things can happen, but I feel pretty safe with that. Maddie, let's go back to you. Who's the quarterback three? So, I mean, if I look at my kind of like, again, managing perceptions, what we think and what we feel, a guy that I've been itching to kind of give a little bit of a boost to and a guy that really is in the running to be my current QB3 is going to be Daniel Jones of Duke. And the reason why is, is because I, I watched a lot of his film and this is going off of some of the things on film, but you match, watch some of his film and you see there is a variety of problems he can solve in multitude of ways. While there are inconsistencies, while there certainly are you know areas of the field he can improve in, while there certainly are um, aspects of the game he can improve in, I thought he really kind of brought a little bit of that to show at the actual combine. It was nice to see him hit some long passes with some players in stride, which to me was the most important part of those drills. I wanted to see him be able to drop it in the bucket with literally little to no feel for the running for the wide receiver that was running the route. That to me just has a lot of different variables on the field that he has to dynamically coordinate and just solve quickly. Whether it's representative or not, I still want to at least see it happen and see what it looks like when they're literally taken out of their element and they have to just throw the football. And Daniel Jones was a guy that I was really toying with. He's in my second tier right now in terms of where I think he stands, which means by year two at the latest, I think he's a potential starter on a team. And I think it's between him. It was between him, Drew Locke, and Will Greer. And I think Daniel Jones, just for, for what I saw, for what I've been itching to do, I'd like to see him maybe come up to number three for me. Paul, let's, let's move on to another quarterback. Uh, this is a guy who I think was probably off the radar for most fantasy players, but he, he certainly helped himself this weekend. I don't know if he helped himself enough. Talk about Tyree Jackson. Is, is he a guy that maybe super flex players should be uh, aware of, uh, maybe even considering drafting in the later rounds? Yeah, I mean, I think in the in the late rounds of a super flex draft, I can see, especially if you have like a taxi squad spot, I think he's years away though. Like I was going uh, back and forth a little bit on Twitter because there were people saying, you know, why is Tyree Jackson considered a day three prospect? And Josh Allen last year was a first round prospect and someone who I thought warranted going in the top 10. 
And to me, the big difference is Tyree Jackson mechanically has a long way to go. His release to me is super long. He's got to clean that up. He's got some footwork issues that he's got to clean up as well. And while that four five nine was really impressive, I don't see that athleticism on the field in the moment and the heat of the game. Josh Allen, you saw make plays with his legs and be able to, you know, maneuver around in the pocket, row on the run. I don't see that as consistently with Tyree Jackson. So between the footwork, the mechanics, the long release, and not seeing that athleticism translate as much on the field, you know, at times he looked a little clunky out there, almost like a Brock Osweiler. He's intriguing, but I think he's a guy who's going to probably go on fourth round i think an nfl team will probably take a stab on him i guess it's possible a team gets enamored and takes him you know in date in round three we saw davis webb get pushed into round three but in terms of fantasy i think he's a guy that in the super flex league if he goes round three or round four you're definitely going to pick i just think it's you know a little bit later in the draft and hopefully you have like a taxi squad that you can kind of stash him on there for a couple years and just forget about him Paul, I don't know if you're with me or not, but I'd much rather take a chance on a Brett Rippey and a Jared Stidham, maybe Gardner Minshew, somebody like that. I just think there's a better chance that they might be a starter someday. Yeah, I'm right there with you on Jared Stidham. He was Mm -hmm. last summer, he was, you know, in my top three quarterbacks. I think he's a very natural thrower of the ball. I think Auburn did him no favors there. I think even the skill players, you know, some of the wide receivers too, you know, I think Stidham has the mechanics and has the arm talent and has, you know, enough mobility, he'd be the guy I would definitely take a chance on in round three or round, even late round two in an NFL draft, to be honest with you. He'd be a guy I would definitely take in a super flex league before I touch Tyree Jackson. Yeah, I hear you there. Ryan, I want to tell our uh, viewers about a new sponsor we have. Is that cool with you? Let's do it. I'm sure most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online. I mean, it's a powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team, just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you actually tried it? Well, it's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. If you're listening to this, this is right up your alley. So free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, Contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. think it sounds complicated. Guys, it really isn't at all. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. And if you're listening to us, you're dialed in. Think Do you think you're amongst the fantasy elite? Well, this is a platform to exactly test your mettle. Still not sure? You can still test out all your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. So if you like what you see after you do that, use our promo, clo- our promo code BLUEPRINT, all lowercase, all one word, BLUEPRINT, and you receive 10% off on your team or the entire league today. So fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. Guys, let's move on to the running back position. I know a lot of the attention from dynasty owners went to the top two running backs entering the combine. David Montgomery, Josh Jacobs uh, kind of seemed to split that RB1 rank 50-50 heading in. I'm wondering now that the combine is over, if that RB1 rank might be a three-man race now. Did did Miles Sanders work his way into that group, Caraccio? I honestly don't know why Miles Sanders wasn't necessarily in the group to begin with. And that doesn't necessarily mean that I think he is a, an immediate, you know, top for, top three back. I do think that one of the things to consider is his athletic profile, what he did um, at Penn State when he was finally given the opportunity, you know, to be the primary ball carrier. I think that's what speaks to, you know, his potential ability. And I think that when you look at what he did on the field this year and look at the, again, just the ways he was solved the problems on the football field, you saw a lot of different styles of solutions, coordinations. He was able to spin. He was able to have varying types of cutting strategies to acceleration strategies, jump cut, power cuts, you name it. There wasn't much to his game that he really didn't show. Now you want to talk about the longevity of showing it the length of time. There's definitely a discussion there. But I think that he's a guy that really should have been in this discussion maybe from the get-go, and that's not to denigrate anybody else that was in this discussion to begin with, but yet to say that 
he definitely should have been on the on the brim of everybody's tongue, so to speak. And I'm just glad that he showed really well. His testing should have, again, perception is everything, catapulted him now into the limelight. And now people are going to hopefully go back and take another look at that film and start saying to themselves, okay, well, what types of problems did he have? Are these NFL problems? How did he solve them? How did he solve them in a way that is translatable? And, you know, do we see this on film? And I, I think people are going to go back and definitely say, yeah, they had. And um, I, I was just really excited for the young man. It's, it's a big stage, and I think he performed really well, especially as a receiver. He was one of the smoothest hands out of the backs. Um, he really caught the ball well, caught the ball nicely, and he just did a nice job coordinating the ability to catch the football and accelerate. That's a big thing. You watch a lot of backs. I feel like there's guys that catch the football and they have to settle almost into the moment that they caught it. And now, and now they have to become a runner. He did it seamlessly. It just shows excellent, excellent coordination throughout everything that he does as a player. And I'm hoping he takes that next step, but he is I mean, listen, he has things to be concerned about. He does have things to be concerned about. And I'll, I, I want to deliver this over to Paul, if that's okay, because Paul and I have definitely been talking about him quite often. Paul, I mean, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, listen, I never thought it was really a two-RB uh, race for that first spot. I do think Josh Jacobs is a little bit in his own tier, but I doubt Sanders was in my top five prior to the combine, and I kind of think that's where he should be. He should be in the mix with David Montgomery and Damian Harris and Miles Sanders, and if you just take injuries out of it, I think Rodney Anderson is in that mix too. Those are my five. Those were my five before the combine. I'm going to hold strong on them, I think, probably straight through to the night of the NFL draft. So I, I was I was excited to see Sanders go there and deliver to kind of get a little bit more national consensus because I think a lot of people were just kind of putting him in like the day three, you know, group with like 10 other, 15 other running backs. And I thought he was more talented. So it was nice to see him kind of check that athletic profile. Do you think he's a third rounder in the NFL draft? Yeah, I think that's probably where he should go, third round. I think Jacobs is probably the only one that should go in round one. And then I think on day two, you could see a couple guys like Damian Harris, David Montgomery, Miles Sanders. I think those are probably the guys who could go on day two. And then I wouldn't be surprised if only like one other guy goes on night two. And it might be a guy like Justice Hill, who's a little bit of a different type of player. And then everyone might and else might end up on day three. Uh, Maddie, back to you really quickly before we move on. Paul told us Jacobs is his RB1. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I absolutely do agree. I, I think I think when you look at Josh Jacobs overall in his game, again, I think that versatility, what he can do as a route runner, what he can do in the field as a receiver, combined with the way he can move both inside the tackles, between the tackles, both outside the tackles as an outside runner, an inside runner, also in varying schemes too. You know, I mean, Alabama did, did – do a variety of schemes at time, mostly zone, but they also ran their fair share of power, especially when attacking the outside. And all those plays exist on different time scales. So the running back needs to adapt to all those different time scales and then be able to adapt to the different types of pursuit angles that the defenders have. And he showed that often across the board throughout the year. I really don't think there's a more complete back, a more scheme versatile back than Josh Jacobs in this draft. Let's go back to Montgomery. I, I think all of us would probably agree he did did not fare very well uh, at the combine. Again, from a dynasty or fantasy perspective, he was locked in no worse than the RB two, and I, I think now that that rank might be in danger. Uh, Paul, how worried should we be about Montgomery? Yeah, I don't think I'd be too worried about him. Like I said, I think he's in that next tier, guys, you know, with Sanders, with Damian Harris, you know, and then again, if the medicals check out, I would say Rodney Anderson, but I think he's going to get pushed down the board. So in terms of dynasty, I don't think his value is going to be nearly as high as those other three guys. I think it's now going to come more down to opportunity, immediate opportunity, I should say, landing spot, depth chart, team situation, and a little bit of draft capital. If they all go on night two, the three of those guys, Sanders, Damian Harris, and Montgomery, I don't think Montgomery is a slam dunk to be the first one off the board in Dynasty rookie drafts. I think it's going to very much be, you know, a collaboration of depth chart, immediate opportunity, and playing time because he maybe didn't check off that athletic profile that maybe some wanted to see. But I didn't really wasn't really expecting it to be all that much better, to be honest with you, than what it was. Unless I missed it, I haven't heard you guys mention Daryl Henderson. Did did you guys bring him up? Is he in this conversation? <laughs> I mean, for me, he's right on the next tier. So okay, for, me, okay. for me, I have uh, Devin Singletary, uh, Darrell Henderson, and Travion Williams in my next tier. And it's not a massive gap between those tiers. They would probably be on like the round three, round four border for me. But yeah, not that far off. Yeah, for me, it, it right now I have Daryl Henderson still pretty much slotted in 
as my, I think, third or fourth. I have him as my fourth or fifth running back currently right now. But really, for me, it's more among the tiers. He sits in that tier two category for me, which means that I expect him to be the lead part of a committee. So the guy that's going to get the majority of the carries in a committee. And I think that's kind of the fairest assessment for him. I don't know if he's doing everything yet. He could develop. He can develop. Mm -hmm. But right now, I don't know if I'm going every down, every situation, no matter what, he's my guy. You know what I mean? So that's, that's oh, yeah. kind of where I put him. I hear you. Okay. Guys, a couple of players that that certainly hurt themselves uh, over the weekend. Devin Singletary, Elijah Holyfield, just, just really poor overall performances, especially in Holyfield's case. How, how far do those guys fall in the NFL draft and then as a result in dynasty rookie drafts? Matty? Yeah, I'm going to kind of go back and say that I, I really think that you're going to see a guy like Holyfield, especially in the world of dynasty community, probably plummet. And a lot of that is going to be because I think we're very much influenced by, again, the testing numbers. But I, I really would I would really implore people to go back and, and look at some of his game films, some of the again, some of the problems that he had to solve on the field against the competition that he was facing. And when you watch him play, I mean it's tough not to come away with feeling like, was there something off? Did you not hear the starting mark? Like something doesn't match up to the, to the film itself. I mean, again, it could just be that, you know, he didn't train for this. That could be a, a red flag all to itself. I mean, that could be the situation. Who knows? I would assume it's not, but I think that I would implore everybody, you know, go back, look at the film, ask yourself, you know, is this a guy? I don't think he's a guy that's going to be in every down back anyway at this point. I had him slated as the lesser part of a committee, more of like, you know, I saw him being more of the power back to somebody else's scat back to begin with. And that's not to, again, not to, you know, devalue him, but that's just, I didn't see him being the lead back potentially in a committee. Was there a possibility? Sure. But I think, I think you go back to the film, you see the combine. There's a much of a disconnect that I, I I'm forced to to ask myself a tough question. But in Dynasty, I would probably say he's going to plummet. Yeah, I mean, I'll jump in there real quick. In terms of NFL draft round, I thought Holyfield had a shot to be a fourth round pick. I never was buying the top 100 for him. I think now he's. We're probably talking late rounds. We're talking round five, round six. I think someone will still take a chance on him. Uh, I don't know why he would have even have ran the 40 if he thought he was going to run that poorly. So it'll be interesting to see if he kind of bounces back in terms of his pro day. I think he's probably around three or round four rookie pick now if he gets drafted in like round five or six and it's a decent landing spot. But if it's not a decent landing spot, he could maybe go undrafted in rookie drafts. And you also brought up Devin Singletary. So I'll just kind of give my quick thoughts on him. I don't know if he's going to fall as far as we think because I wasn't expecting him to be a blazer. I thought he was maybe going to be a four five two, the four five six guy. And then I understand he came in and I think it was like a four six three or something like that, a four six four. He'll probably improve upon that a little bit at his pro day. I always thought he was quicker than fast, more agile, elusive, you know, good cutting ability. I thought I never was buying round two. He was in that consideration for a while. I always thought he was maybe a round three guy. He probably doesn't go in the in the top 100 picks now, but I still think he's got a shot to go in round four. And then if he goes in round four, I think in a rookie draft, it's a, a lot of wide receivers are going to go. But I think maybe he could sneak into the back end of round two or the early part of round three if he goes in round four of the NFL draft. Uh, Matt uh, Williamson, any other yes. thoughts before we wrap up the running back position? Uh, no, but I, I actually I do. There's there's one name I just wanted to bring up that I wasn't familiar with, and he didn't run a great 40, but his other times and measurements were exceptional. There seems to be some buzz around Alex Barnes. Yeah, I mean, Alex Barnes is a guy who, you know, I watched him, and I thought he was a functional to above average athlete. I thought he was a good in pass protection, good receiver, so I thought he had some versatility to play in all three downs, but I would be lying if I said I expected him to go to the combine and, you know, test out as an elite-level athlete. Definitely someone, you know, one of the things about the combine is always kind of send you back to the tape, and Alex Barnes is at the top of my list of someone I got to watch some more film on because I didn't see that level at, of athlete, but at the combine, he looked really fluid in all the drills. He tested out a, a lead in just about every category, but the 40. And if he can pass protect and catch the ball, I know he didn't have a lot of receiving production, but I, I think he's skilled in that uh, area as well, that he, he's got to be someone that's probably moving up draft boards. 
Yeah, I mean, from my standpoint, I, I would agree much of what Paul said. I mean, I saw a well-rounded athlete in terms of his skill set and traits as a running back, but there were concerns from at least the way I perceived his film, you know, in terms of his acceleration and agility, which to me kind of says the way I have it in my notes, it was more or less like using that acceleration and tapping into it when necessary. Not that I don't know he can run in a straight line fast. Maybe he did. You know, obviously he did. Obviously he performed very well. But more or less like on the football field, in the moment that he needed to, when there were opportunities to bounce it outside, to cut back across lanes, to find other affordances for action, for his ability to do that, it just doesn't seem like that type of athleticism exploded off the page. So you wonder if 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 there is a little bit of a mismatch between some of that. So that that's my only thing. It makes me go back and say maybe I'm not – maybe I'm being too difficult. Maybe I'm being too difficult. Maybe I'm not being sensitive enough to what he did do relative to the situations he was in. Maybe he did enough based on what he had, and that's maybe where I have to go back and look myself. But no, I, I, I'm right there with Paul. All right, guys, last last question on the running backs, and, and maybe this is Alex Barnes. Maybe we've already covered it. One running back that shocked you in a positive way. Paul? I'll say didn't completely shock me, but I think shocked a lot of people. And I at least want to mention him. And that's Mike Weber out of Ohio State. You know, on our combine preview show, Matt and I discussed that we thought he was going to test out as a really good athlete, better than people maybe thought he was. And I thought he at the combine, he ran a good 40 time. He looked really good and explosive. I would say besides Miles Sanders, who we've already talked about, and obviously Alex Barnes, I think Mike Weber uh, really stood out in a positive light to kind of, you know, show more uh, of his athletic abilities that I think most people didn't think he had. Crouchy, what about you? Yeah, I'm going to bounce right off of that because Paul took my guy because I thought <laughs> there was going to be one of two players that Paul was going to take. And I figured it was going to be one of these two players. So I'm going to bounce off and go to another guy. Um, I'm going to say Travis Homer. And I'm going to say Travis Homer because I, I think it's finally time for, for everybody to kind of join the idea that he's a player that really profiles very well for development. There's a player where you watch his film and you might say, well, the athleticism isn't really evident in every aspect of his game. But if you go back to his film and you look at some of the things that he was able to do in terms of what he could do as a route runner, in terms of what he did do as a route runner, but just never got the ball, in terms of situations where he does show some straight line speed and some burst, there's interior running concerns for him, for sure. You could see that he has problems on the interior. He, he kind of pitter patters a little too much. He's a little bit kind of confused about how to read some of that information on the interior. But when it goes to the outside, you talk about what he can do in the open field. You talk about what he can do at the second level. You talk about that contact fidelity, that ability to just stay true to what he's trying to accomplish as a runner, but also through contact, maintaining his balance and still fighting forward, breaking tackles and getting yardage. He really is the perfect like, again, I think somebody had mentioned it and I forget who did. So forgive me if I'm not giving you proper credit, but the rise of Philip Lindsay could very much be the rise of Travis Homer in a very, very interesting way. I think he's a guy that you definitely keep on your radars. He's been on it since, you know, obviously we're Saturday to Sunday. I mean, we've had him definitely on that radar. I know you have, Ryan, as well. This is not a guy that came out to the Debbie community for the first time. We've been watching him for a while. Um, but I I'm just hoping that he gets the draft capital necessary to give him the opportunity that he deserves. Yeah, it's interesting that you, you picked those two guys because I think – from a, a fantasy value or a dynasty value perspective, they're similar prospects. Both of them, we've seen them, you know, for their for their college teams, for Ohio State, for Miami, for a couple of years now. And I don't think either necessarily has that one thing that we can kind of hang our hat on that they are uh, elite at. I don't think there's any one trait for either one of them. But I think they're both good, solid backs, good, solid prospects. I think there is a role for them in the NFL. And, and it seems like early in this process, obviously, dynasty owners have kind of been taking them for granted. In our in our pre-combine ADP over at DLF, both of those guys were were third rounders or or even later. So I think they're maybe getting some of the attention they were probably due. Let's move on to the wide receiver position. I'm going to start with a guy I, I personally have some questions about. Can't wait to hear what you guys think about him. Paris Campbell. We knew he was going to dominate this combine. That was kind of the narrative. Uh, throughout the, the, the whole pre-combine process, and, and he certainly did that. So is he just a combine freak, a workout warrior, or is this guy a legit receiver prospect, Maddie? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I think it's evident on his film. I was expecting him to be a combine warrior in every sense of the word. I mean, he was a guy that I knew had good athletic ability going into it, good balance, flexibility, change of direction, explosiveness, acceleration, you name it. Um, But in terms of being a complete package, in terms of the entire route tree, in terms of the sensitivity to running underneath routes, intermediate routes, and deep routes, you know, there's room to be optimistic, but I thought overall, I thought there was a lot more that he needed to to kind of develop. I thought his play strength and his blocking, for example, little things like that, um, making catches through contact, the whole nine yards. I think those are little things, but important things, especially when those windows get tighter and you're expected to be on the field for all three downs to be a blocker in the run game to do all those things. I think there's something to be said about that with Paris Campbell, and I think he's going to be an excellent addition, very much like a Curtis Samuel. Um, which is ironically not just foreshadowing it. He actually played the exact same position Curtis Samuel played at Ohio State. It's exactly the same position. It's called the H-back for them, and that's just how they call it. And that's that's his role, to be everything that a running back does and more out of the backfield or out of the, excuse me, as a wide receiver. So he does as a wide receiver, just like what a running back does. He takes some of those responsibilities, and he did it in stride. Makes it Makes everything look great after the catch. Very agile player. Um, very, very excited to see where he ends up. I think an RPO style game would be great for him. If you're in an RPO type offense, giving him a screen pass behind the line of scrimmage and letting him do it. That's kind of where Paris Cramble initially fits for me. And, um, I think from there on up, there's plenty of optimism for him to be a, a really a, a three, a two top two, top three wide receiver in the future, but it depends on where he goes and what type of philosophy they have. Do you guys agree that I think he has a legit chance to go in the first round now? I mean, a lot of teams could use him late first round, maybe top 40 overall. But I think he's kind of a manufactured touches guy that he might be better in the NFL than he is for fantasy. Yeah, I'll jump in there. I think he has a legitimate shot to go to back end of round one. If I was a betting man, I would say more round two. And I think you're right. I think he's more of a better real-life player than probably fantasy. I think he's kind of a blend of a couple guys that obviously we're very familiar with. Matt brought up Curtis Samuel, and I'll bring up Randall Cobb and also DJ Moore. He's got the body type of like a DJ Moore where you can get him do some different things with him. But I also think he can maybe develop into a little bit of a slot-wide receiver. I mean, Randall Cobb obviously was a position change years ago you know it was a little bit new to the wide receiver position to learn it I think Paris Campbell is still learning and developing but with that body type that is very much like a DJ Moore style player I do think he's going to be a little bit more manufactured touch guy so even if he goes in round one of the NFL draft or early round two he still probably gets pushed into round two of rookie drafts is what I would expect all right, guys, another uh, hot name I've seen on, on Twitter, lots of conversations since the Combine, is Andy Isabella. I think this is a player, and, and every year it seems like there's one of these. Nobody really knows who this player is. I, I won't say nobody. I know you two guys did. But th- throughout even the college season, maybe not a player we're aware of. And then he starts popping up on list, and then we see his Combine performance. And in this case, he, he tied uh, – he tied actually Paris Campbell for the fastest 40 time. I think they were both at four, three, one. How high is Andy Isabella going to climb in the NFL draft and in dynasty rookie drafts, Paul? I think he has a legitimate chance to go in round two, but I think he's definitely off the board in, uh, by the end of night two. I think the Cowboys could look at him as a guy to potentially replace Cole Beasley. I think there's a lot of teams that can look at him and, and potentially see a guy that he's he's more than just a slot guy. I mean, he has the athleticism speed to get vertically down the field. So I think Isabella is a guy that it, with that speed, with that athletic profile, with his route running, change of directions and I think he's going to go on night two. And then again, in terms of dynasty rookie drafts, if he goes on night two, I think, I think somewhere in the mid round two of rookie drafts, probably give or take, you know, a couple spots either way is probably, you know, what his ideal landing spot would be. I know I just participated in a rookie mock and he went early second round, which I like the player a lot. He's in my top 12 at the position. I thought that was a little rich, but I could understand it. I'd really like to see him go to a highly schemed offense. I mean, I'm not sure if these teams would be in the market for him, but like New England, the Rams, New Orleans, I want to see him in the slot, but running go routes from the slot. You know what I mean? Like use him in a wide variety of way, in motion, out wide. I think his landing spot's key. And if he ends up in Dallas and they just nickel and dime him to death, I'll be disappointed. Yeah, you know what, Matt? You took the the words right out of my mouth because he currently sits in my tier three, along with Paris Campbell. 
for very much the same sentiment. Because I do think when you look at this player, while Paris Campbell, you could project a little bit more, maybe say that there's some more developmental traits. Uh, you can even say the same thing for Andy Isabella. I still think that these guys and the, and the amount of production that they did see and where they perfectly fit in the NFL, if everything stays the same, is going to be in that situation where they have to be in an offense that uses players like this creatively. Mm-hmm. You can't be looking at a player and saying, he's only this. If you do that, you take away everything that makes them unique and special especially when you talk about those two after the catch getting yards after the catch should probably be I guess in the current offenses that we probably see in the NFL we should probably argue that should be almost trait number trait number two after route running the way things are happening now we're starting to marginalize or minimize a little bit some of the running back um, qualities and maybe kind of distributing that a little bit differently across the offense. Now you want to start asking yourself, what do I need these wide receivers to be able to do? And I think the the common answer is more and more, I need my wide receivers to be able to be a little bit of a running back in the open field. And I think Isabella, Paris Campbell, um, I know you didn't ask about him, uh, Rye, but I would say even I would throw in Greg Dortch, for example. You're You're throwing in guys, I have them all very closely grouped in that kind of 15 to 20 range. Because I think that they do, as Matt said, have to go to a very particular offense that's going to exploit those traits about them. Yeah, great, great stuff on those guys. The other, the other guy that I think is kind of maybe in that same conversation is Emmanuel Hall. Does he fit into that same group with for you, Matt? Actually, I would. I actually have Emmanuel Hall probably higher than maybe some will. Um, I'm no now, probably not. Probably, probably people are going to have him much higher than <laughs> I do. Not anymore. Not <laughs> anymore. Um, I had I had Emmanuel Hall currently sitting in my top ten at number eight, and the reason is this goes back to really 2017. And when you really do look at the breadth of skills, again, I try to frame it as what types of problems is he asked to solve, and he was asked to solve a variety of them, both you know being pressed at the line of scrimmage, vertically, intermediate. There wasn't something that he wasn't asked to do. And he did it all very good. I mean, his releases versus off coverage, the way he used space to get it, get open, his releases versus press coverage. He had a variety of solutions, his execution of high speed change in direction routes. He was able to do it with minimal loss of speed. He was solid on deep routes. He was deceptive throughout his stems. He, he did body catch at times, but I saw in the second exposures in 2018 he didn't do that as much he showed a little bit of development in that area and then his athletic profile I'm not going to say I thought he would jump like 12 feet but I was pretty damn sure that he was going to be a guy that was just going to do a lot at the combine and it was nice to see that he was able to do that I think he's more scheme versatile if we're going to use this discussion point you're probably the wrong person to ask because you've been high on him since day one but how do you think he compares to DJ Chark that's a really interesting that's a really interesting comparison. I'm going to say that DJ Chark, I didn't see the same variety of routes okay. that I saw from Emmanuel Hall. I saw more under uh under circumstances that were different. I saw more of a more similar NFL problems that NF, that Emmanuel Hall had to face. I saw that more than what I saw from DJ Chark and that's definitely going into the route tree and the types of routes that he was asked to run. So that's why I would say they were different for me. But the but I love the comparison, especially from an athletic standpoint and how to transfer. Body type. And, right. Yeah, I like that. Guys, with DK Metcalf, who is, who is probably the story of the weekend, if it wasn't Kyler Murray, uh, we, we saw kind of the highest of highs and the lowest of lows with this guy. Uh, he, he weighs in and he, it, the body fat and all these stories, just the physique, the, the pictures going around of this guy are unreal. And then he blazes this 40 and everybody's ready to do whatever it is, uh, whatever it takes to get him on their team. And then he runs the agility drills, the three cone and, and some of these others. And uh, now the questions start popping up and the comps change from Julio Jones to uh, much lesser players very quickly. So if those are the two extremes, the 40 and, and the three cone, which one should we pay more attention to, Maddie? Oh, for me, I, I'm I'm probably the wrong person to ask, but <laughs> I, I guess if I have to put him in order, and I were and you and you push me to the fire, uh, I'm gonna say let's pay attention a little bit more to the agility drill if we have to. If you're pushing me and you're asking me, I'll say probably that. But if you're really pushing me too, and you're gonna give me a maybe a little bit of a broader range, I, I would probably I would probably yeah. I mean, I, I guess the three cone I'd have to say, but I did send out a paper that I'm I'm happy to share with you guys that um a, a colleague of uh, in the movement science community wrote on change of direction drills and agility drills and where they fit in terms of contextualizing athleticism. 
And there was a lot of research on all the different drills and which ones had merit and which ones did not. And the conclusion overall, just to summarize it, was when you take the athlete away from their actual game, you lose all the information that they connect to in order to create the agility that they show on the field. So you're asking a guy to react to nothing at all. You're asking him to change of direction speed. Maybe you're saying run around the cones and let's see how fast you can do it. But if you're going to call it agility drills, I think we're, we're, mis, we're using, misusing maybe the word agility there. You want okay. to see him in something a little bit more representative to the best of our ability. Ryan, real quick, just because I'm not sure if our audience knows. Like, I bet people have said, oh, he didn't test so well in the agility drills. No, he tested like a guard in the agility drills. I mean, they were awful. Right, right. Our our buddy, <laughs> our buddy John Moore, who has been on the show before, and and we need to have him back on. Uh, John pointed out, or I think actually one of his followers pointed out that Tom Brady ran a faster yes. three cone drill. Right, Andre uh, Dillard ran a better one. Right, right. So, uh, and, and Matt, I guess the way maybe the way I should have asked that question is: Should we be more impressed with the forty or more concerned with the three cone? Maybe maybe that's a better way to phrase it. My my answer would be is probably I'm more impressed with the 40 than I am with anything that happened with the three cone. Okay. I'm not as concerned about the three cone. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, are, are you comfortable taking him one Oh one in a rookie draft? No, I okay. wouldn't take him one one but he's not my, he's not my number one wide receiver right now. Okay. Perfect. Ryan, I have one more note on Metcalf that I haven't heard a lot of people talking about, but kind of the old scout in me has a big red flag and I'm not down on the guy or anything. Maybe I'd take him at one Oh one too, but Coming off a neck injury, I mean, neck and back really, really scare me long-term. Ask Gronk, ask anyone that's had a back. And I know he's beautiful on Instagram, but your body's supposed to have fat on it. You know, this isn't just a fat guy saying that. You know, having a low percentage of body fat is pulled soft tissue injuries, cramps. You know, that worries me a little bit. I don't want a bodybuilder out there. Well, that's that's what he looks like. Yeah. He's not my 101 either, but we'll we'll talk more about that later. Next, um, and Paul, we'll start with you on this one. Which wide receiver do you expect to drop in your rankings simply as a result of the combine? Yeah, I mean, I'll mention two guys real quick because one guy wasn't very high on my rankings, but I did drop him even more than he was, and that was little Jordan Humphrey out of Texas. Was unsure of why he declared early, to be honest with you. I never thought he had a shot to be a top 100 pick. So if he was in that 4-5 range for how he tested this weekend, I think he's probably more of a six round 6, round 7, maybe even a UDFA now. So I think he, he moved down my rankings. And then on a little bit more of a big scale, he didn't perform at the combine in anything, I don't think. But I think J.J. Arcega-Whiteside went down a little bit for me just because of how how good so many others around him did perform. And a lot of those other bigger-bodied guys that we maybe had some athletic questions, they all showed up at the combine, a lot of them, and they answered the bell. And I'm not sure if Arcega-Whiteside knew he was going to test poorly or there was some injury I was unaware of. But just by not performing there and kind of holding off leaves me to be leads me to think that he may not test out as good as some of these other, you know, bigger bodied guys that we, that did and were willing to compete. He moved down a couple spots for me. Obviously I wasn't going anything crazy, but it was more about Emmanuel Hall looking so good. And, you know, some of these other guys, Hakeem Butler, you know, showing that vertical speed that I wasn't sure he had, you know, moving up a few spots. So our Seagull Whiteside went down a little bit by just by not competing this weekend. And then little Jordan Humphrey dropped for me even further down than I had. him just based on how poor his athletic profile was. Oh, that, that 40 was tough to watch from, from Humphrey. It looked uh, like the run you Wilson. If you remember that one. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's ugly. Maddie, what about you? Wide receivers falling any others besides those two? Uh, just a slight fall. Um, and that would be, uh, Riley Ridley just, uh, takes a little bit of a, a one step drop for me. Um, and still within the top five or six, I think in my rankings, but he may take a little bit of a, a one, uh, a one space tumble. Is that partially because the other guys look so good? Yeah, that's exactly yeah, yeah. why, Matt. It yeah, really yeah. was because I, I think there is a level of projection with him, like all these players, but a little bit more so with Riley Ridley. And I think when I see some of these other athletes doing it, so to speak, yeah, I think the other guys looked a little bit better. Guys, we'll wrap up wide receivers here. Give me a, a small school wide receiver or, or maybe just one that's completely off the radar that dynasty owners better get to know ASAP. Not, not Andy Isabella, somebody deeper than that. 
I'll Paul. jump in here. Go. I'll jump in and go first here. And uh, I know Matt, who Matt's going to go with too. So I'll leave, I'll I'll take the other <laughs> teammate on purpose. And that's uh, I'm going to take Deontay Johnson out of Toledo. I thought he was going to test out a little bit better athletically. I thought he was going to be a four four five or four four seven guy. But I really like his his film. He shows the ability to win at all three levels of the field. He shows the ability to get vertical, make plays after you know after the catch, make people miss pick up yard chunk yards i really liked his game he's a good kick returner as well and you know again i'm not a huge statistic guy but there tends to be some type of correlation between you know being a really good kick returner in college and translate into a productive player at the nfl so as a guy who's probably going to go on day three of the nfl draft i think he should be on dynasty radars maybe in that round three round four mix and because he's from toledo he's really going to be flying under the radar yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna still give you the guy. I, I don't know if Paul actually predicted this, so we'll see if Paul called the, called a shot after I say it. But I still believe very very wholeheartedly a guy you should always keep on the back of your radar is Cody Thompson. And I think Cody Thompson, if it wasn't for the injuries that he sustained while he was at Toledo, so it's kind of funny we're staying in the same world. Cody Thompson would have blown up this combine, and I mean you would have talked about him as being the top performer or close to the top performer at every single event. The only issue was there seems to be, and, and rightfully so, I mean, he hurt himself several times in college. You notice there is a little bit of a step difference from 2017 to the 2018 film. But Cody Thompson, man, I looked at him in the East-West Shrine game where there was I had the pleasure of seeing some of the uh, practices film. And it is just practice. But if we're going to talk about the combine, I feel like the practices are on the table too. So we're going to talk about the combine. I'll give you the practices too. He was by far the most stunning wide receiver in practice at the East-West Shrine game in any of the drills that I saw from any wide receiver. And Terry Godwin looked great, and Keyshawn Johnson looked great, but Cody Thompson, even though he didn't play because of injury, he still participated in the drills. He looked fantastic. So I'm going to still say that Cody Thompson has a, there's a world and a narrative that exists where he could, he's going to have to fight his way up a depth chart, but I think that he's a guy that we keep monitoring and, and see how it settles down in the depth chart. All right, guys. Good calls on both of those. Uh, I like I like Johnson for sure. Cody Thompson was a little off my radar, so that's one I want to go back and watch. Thanks for that, Matt. Let's move to the tight end spot, guys. I'm I love Irv, Irv Smith. Love him. Love him. Is he closer to the Iowa guys than maybe we're understanding, or or is that just my bias? No, I'll jump in here. I think Earthman is real close, to be honest with you. He, I had him at number two ahead of Noah Fant going into the combine. I'm the Still undetermined if I'm going to flip-flop them because they're all really close. But I think he's a better blocker by far than Noah Fant, a better route runner. And probably even though he might not have tested out this way, I think he's even better after the catch than Noah Fant. So, I, listen, Noah Fant tested out absolutely as a elite, elite-level athlete, one of the best tight ends ever. But in terms of immediate playing time opportunity at the NFL level – I don't think I think Irv Smith might play more snaps next year because I think he could handle himself better in terms of his blocking. And I think Noah Fan is kind of like a blend between Evan Ingram and David Najoko. He's got more of the body now type in terms of Najoku because I didn't know Noah Fan was going to check in as, as much as he weighed. But to me, he's like Evan Ingram in that he's not a blocker at all. And whatever NFL team drafts him, they're going to have to know that. The Giants have foolishly at times tried to ask Evan Ingram to block, and it just hasn't worked. So Noah Fan has to be drafted into the in the right scheme where he's only asked to be a receiver for the most part and I think he's very I don't think he's nearly the refined route runner that Evan Ingram was I think Irv Smith is much more refined of a route runner I think he's more like David Njoku who if you go back and remember David Njoku that year one how often in the fantasy world were we mad that he wasn't playing more often that I think set the valve was getting a lot of snaps and I think that had a lot to do with David Njoku was a very unrefined uh, route runner and in terms of learning technique and route tree and route development. And I think that's, I think Noah Finn is very much like that. So I think he's a hybrid of those guys. He deserves to get drafted on round one, but I don't think Irv Smith should be, be that far behind if at all, to be honest with you. Don't you guys think Irv Smith's pretty much a lock to go in the top 40 or so? hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. Okay. I pound the table, Matt, Paul, <laughs> and Ryan. I pound the table for Irv Smith as early and as often as possible, because I don't really see a downside to him being one of the tight ends, the top two tight ends on your team. I, I really don't. You'd have to show me why he shouldn't be considered 
a potential top two tight end in some way right now in the NFL. And I mean that in terms of whether he can contribute immediately as a route runner and on receiving downs, or you could say that we have a scheme that really suits what they do already at Alabama. There's a little bit of carryover and he can immediately step in and he understands the blocking schemes and he's competent. We can do that. He's already shown it. Then great. I, I, I don't see a world where he can't contribute to your football team right now. I love it. I'm I'm among my people here. This feels good. <laughs> so if the if the Iowa guys, Noah Fant, uh, T.J. Hawkinson, and Irv Smith are the the locked in top three, which it feels like they are in some order, uh, Maddie, who's who's the tight end for in this group? Wow. Okay. So I'm gonna have to. I mean, listen. There's <laughs> he he knows he knows Paul can hear it coming. That's why he's chuckling. Okay. <laughs> they all hear it coming. And and I and listen, I could stand on a soapbox and say, like, oh well, it doesn't matter. I I thought we were gonna see a little bit more from Isaac Nauta in the athletic testing. I really did. And for me who's saying testing, you know, shouldn't matter and we should be all like impervious to it and it matters what's on the film. Like like Mac said, there is a picture of you that's attached to your profile that people see, and then automatically you connect the dots to your memory and saying, Wow, that's not what I Horrible. saw. Yeah. yeah, it's not what I saw from him. I mean, he had some redeeming moments. You know, the gauntlet drill looked really good for him. He really did look like one of the more of the fluid receivers out of the group. Um, he really did look competent. You watch him on tape. There's probably, uh, I would argue, there's very few blockers that are as good as him in this class. And that means combination of being able to receive the ball and block. Um, he is very adept on his routes. Again, this is all film-based stuff. He was a guy that I would have had at number four. Um, as of right now, I, I, I really am very pressed to look at the following three players. So I haven't made my decision, but it's definitely between, you know, Caden Smith, Jay Sternberger and Dawson Knox. And, and I'm going to also throw in there um, Josh Oliver because Oliver looked better than I thought he would look. Um, not that I thought he was going to look bad, um, but I think he was look good. I, I, I just, I, my heart's still with Nada, but I, I can't lead with my heart. I have to, I have to kind of at least resolve the fact that there is something to be said and something to go back to and something to reconcile there. But I do think that if somebody gets Nada, I still think that he could have a really great pro career better than what he did at Georgia. Paul, any thoughts on tight end four there? Yeah. I mean, I think Matt kind of laid out the, the, players who were in consideration I actually thought Jay Sternberger was going to kind of take that spot and kind of run with it and he didn't test out like the athlete I thought I saw on film I mean he wasn't bad or anything but I thought you know I thought he was going to have some Mike Gusecki moments in, in terms of his combine performance maybe not across the board like Gusecki did but I thought he was going to run you know four sixes mid four sixes i thought he was gonna jump better and he he was kind of average in all of them but i think based on nauta taking a step back and even matt mentioned caden smith he was a guy who was right there on my four or five border and he tested out really poor athletically as well so you know i thought isaac nauta and caden smith both had a legitimate chance to go you know in on day two and now i think they're clearly probably day three guys I would say Sternberger, but I would say Dawson Knox looked really, really good in the on-field drills. He was recovering from something, so he didn't run the 40. I think there's a good chance by the time you know the NFL draft rolls around that Dawson Knox could be the fourth tight end in this class. But I'll say it's either Sternberger or Knox, and I do like Matt's under-the-radar call of Josh Oliver. I think he's a guy who has a, sh a chance to sneak in the top 100 at the bottom, similar how to uh, the kid from... Uh, Houston drafted last year, Jordan Aikens. I could see somebody like Josh Oliver sneaking in the back of round three as a little bit of a surprise pick. And would it be ridiculous if I threw out Cahill Waring because he really I was did. about to. Oh, <laughs> Rob Snipe. I totally got you on that one. I mean, I, we were right there, and I was just like, I'm taking it from. No, please, please, after you. But do you I, I was going to bring that? up Foster Moreau and Cahill Waring and just ask your guys' opinion on them. They're both good athletes. I'm still turn, trying to learn. I, I read a hilarious story about wearing today that, I mean, he is so new to the game that his first practice at San Diego state, the special teams coach pulled him aside and said, you know how many guys are on the field? He thought there was 13, you know, like he, <laughs> that's a true story. He told the story at the combine. Like this guy is so raw. Could those be stash type tight ends warring in Moreau? Well, I mean, I'll definitely field something that Paul and I have been talking about on air, off air. Um, I, I think that when you look at a Foster Moreau, I, I do see a lot of 
uh, likely a, a lot of similarities between them and Red Ellison on the Giants. I do mm. see that similarity in terms of, I mean, Red Ellison's a good football player. And, you know, he may not light up your dynasty world, but that doesn't mean that, think about it, when Evan Ingram wasn't there, Red Ellison put up some decent numbers in your fantasy football leagues, enough to carry you for a week. It wasn't a guy that you would ride or die with, but he definitely did. And I could certainly see Foster Moreau immediately garnering some type of usage, some type of usage within a system because he can do blocking. He can, he can block, he can run routes. He has great hands. He was one of the smoothest guys in that gauntlet drill. He really, really was. So, I mean, I am very, very big on the fact that you picked up Foster Moreau because that was something that Paul and I were talking back and forth about. And, um, and Paul, I mean, just anything that I missed out on that, no, I think Foster Moreau, you said it perfectly. My biggest concern in terms of his dynasty value would be, is he such a good blocker that is he going to get enough opportunity in the yeah. past game to be a, a fantasy viable? But on the flip side, I think Warren does have a chance. I think he's another guy who I think is in the mix to potentially be a guy that comes off the board by the end of round three. And if not, I think he's going to be a guy that teams are eyeing early, early in round four because he's got the package of athleticism, length, catch radius, you know, he's got some drop issues he's got to clean up, but that's just, again, new to the, new to the game and, and stuff that I think he can improve upon. But as Nauta and Caden Smith might be going down the other way, I think Foster Moreau, Gahel Waring, and I think and uh, Josh Oliver, I think those are the guys that are kind of replacing those other guys, and they're kind of flip-flopping a little bit in terms of real NFL maybe draft capital. All right, guys, great insight again there. We are going to wrap up the show as as we did so many times last offseason with a one-round mock draft. This kind of became a tradition. We did a ton of them, and they certainly changed uh, throughout the uh, the pre-draft process, and then it changed even more after the NFL draft last year. So this is our first one this time. We'll see how this goes. Uh, and, Paul, we're going to give you the first pick. So this is a Dynasty PPR Rookie mock draft, one quarterback. Uh, let's let's see, hear who your 101 is. My 101 is going to be Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, the running back. All right, Josh Jacobs goes first. I think that will be uh, a pretty popular pick. Last year it was easy, right? We we always gave right. our guests, we always <laughs> gave our guests the 101, and they they got off easy. Not so much this year. It's it's Jacobs this time. Williamson, you've got the second pick. Yeah, I would have taken Jacobs. I'll take Metcalf um, for basically for obvious reasons. I mean, he's going to create big plays. He's going to go high in the draft. Um, touchdowns seem like they're in his future. I do have some concerns, as I expressed earlier, but he seems like the pretty obvious 102 to me. All right, I'm going to take my 101 at the 103. This feels good. I'm taking Nikhil Harry at 103. He is my wide receiver one, and he's my 101 overall. And I think that's those are the kind of things that are going to happen. You're going to get your top ranked guy at three or four some in in some cases. Maddie, man, I'm going to kind of I'm going to probably um, going to probably buck and weave a little bit differently because I get the fourth guy. So I'm going to still say even though he's a it's a it's a one QB, I might go Kyler Murray if I need a QB in this setting. I'm going to go with it and just step out of the realm and take the cheat code that is the scrambling quarterback, and I'll let everything else kind of self-organized. I mean, you know, that's, so that's not a move I would make, but I absolutely could see Murray going in the first round of a lot of, of rookie drafts, maybe even the majority of rookie drafts by the time it's all said and done. That's right. Well, you were sleeping. See, you were sleeping. I took him at five and then I win the league. So there you go. I mean, I see it working in my favor. I won our imaginary league with that pick. It, it could happen. I, I think he's actually going to benefit from Baker Mayfield, right? We saw, oh, yeah. we saw Mayfield with the, uh, the immediate production. Once he got onto the field. Um, I mean, the comparisons are already there. Obviously, former Heisman winners, former teammates. Uh, so I think what we saw from Mayfield a year ago is going to help Murray's dynasty stock. Paul, we'll go back to Ryan, you. real this quick. Is, uh, is he yeah. the consensus 1-1 one, one in Superflex? I, I wouldn't say he's consensus. Okay. Um, I think there's, there's, you know, I think it's close enough with some of these other guys that there's some debate. He's my 101 in, in Superflex for sure, sure though. All right, Paul, this will be the 105 pick. 
Yeah, at 105, I'm going to go with A.J. Brown, wide receiver from Ole Miss. I was torn between a couple guys, but he checked off a lot of boxes in terms of athleticism at the Combine. I still think he's a very much Juju Smith, Anquan Bolden type player, kind of blending them together. So I think he's going to go late round one or early round two in the NFL. So I'll take him here. And he's another guy I have heard people say uh, they consider him their top overall player. And here he, he comes off the board at five. Williamson. I'll gladly take Akeem Butler. I, mean, I think he's built for fantasy production. <laughs> I'm sure his stock is rising at the combine as well. <clears throat> he is he is moving up, um, and we didn't get to talk about him much. I, I would love to hear your all's thoughts on Hakeem Butler. He was my wide receiver too pre-combine. Took a little flack for that, you know, that I had him above uh, Harmon. I had him above some of these other guys with with maybe the bigger name. What are your thoughts, Maddie? We'll, we'll go to you. What are your thoughts on Butler? So, I mean, Hakeem Butler for me is going to probably sit either right at my number 10 spot overall or within just outside my top 10 at number 11. And I know that's going to be absolutely different than everybody else. And that's fine. Um, I, I think his athletic ability, while it was outstanding at the combine, I mean, I saw a lot of functional athletic ability on the field, not to say it's average, but to say that he had enough to get the job done in a lot of areas. I do think that, you know, size, play speed, his competitive toughness, his play strength, his, his contact fidelity were all strengths for him. I do think, however, um, you know, on some of the routes that you might ask him to run in terms of being like, like we said, high speed change of direction routes, you know, his releases versus men, his agility in the open field. Those are certain areas where that I would just say is not, I wouldn't say concerned. I would say is let's see how he now functions at the NFL level. Let's see if he takes that next step. Let's see if he puts it all together. And let's see, because I think that's what you're going to need. I think you need some of that to be a top two receiver. I think he can go get it with the best of them on deep routes by far. He's probably one of the best deep ball receivers, and it has nothing to do with his speed. He just has such an acute way of stacking defenders and using his body to control the situation at the catch point. He controls it. He dominates it. That's his ball. And that's something that I can't trivialize because that will translate in my opinion. All right. Great, great info on, on Butler. Uh, not, not quite what I wanted to hear, but I appreciate the, uh, the point of view for sure. Um, I am up at the 1.07. I love doing these mock drafts every week, as I said, because they make me reevaluate my rankings and I'm, I'm going to go away from my rankings, which tells me I need to go update those soon. I'm going to take Miles Sanders at 1.07. Uh, I, I think I've, I'm ready to move him above David Montgomery for that 1.02 spot and above a couple of the wide receivers that I also would have had ranked ahead of him. So Sanders is my pick at seven. And we'll, uh, Matt Caraccio, we'll go back to you for your pick at eight. I'll take Kyler Murray again. No, I mean, okay. Uh, <laughs> no, uh, I, no, I, I think that, uh, you know, I'll come back to it and I'm going to actually go to the player that I still have settling in in the top one or two of my wide receivers. I'm still not going to quit on Kelvin Harmon. I like Kelvin Harmon. I, I know it wasn't, you know, as as dynamic and amazing as all the other wide receivers. But again, I think there are other receivers in this draft that kind of cloud perception. And I think that when you watch him on the football field, you watch the variety of things he can do, the problems he can solve before and after the catch. I, I think he is a very complete receiver. I'm not sure about that development curve and where it ends. Um, I do think there's some room for growth, but I think we're at the ceiling there. We're at the top end. He's going to be a very, very good immediate weapon for a team, and I don't think you're going to have to do much development necessarily there. All right, good call on him. So this will be our, our last pick each, and Paul, we'll go to you. This is the 1.09. Yeah, so the 1.09 couple options here, with all the uncertainty of the running backs, I'm actually going to pivot – back to wide receiver and a guy who we're not really talking about because he didn't perform at the combine. And I'm going to take Marquise Brown out of Oklahoma. I think he's got a legitimate chance to go in round one. If the Liz Frank issue pushes him down, it could push him down to only the top five, 10 picks in second round. I think he's off the board in the top 40. Does his real life game probably maybe a little bit more impactful in terms of his overall game than maybe fantasy? But I, I think he's a high impact player, one of the about best route runners in the class, and obviously an electrifying home run threat as well. So I'll take him here at the 1.09. Williamson, it's your pick, 1.10. 
Yeah, I'm going to go with Damian Harris. It seems like a very safe pick. I think he's got some every down capabilities. Could be the lead dog in the right situation his rookie year. Um, seems like he gets swept under the rug a little bit with Jacobs, but I, I think Harris is a real solid double off the wall. Yeah, I agree with that. It, it, I think he's certainly being being overlooked. Uh, I am up with the 1.11. I said I had some concerns about David Montgomery. I don't have this many concerns. If he falls to, to 11, I'm taking him every time. So that will be my pick. I'll go uh, with, with another running back. And uh, Maddie, finish us off with the 1.12 pick. So at the 1.12, I, I think in a in a format that needs to have some potential talent at this player, at this position, I'm going to go ahead and take Irv Smith off the board. And I'm going to go tight end, and I'm going to go really a little off the rafters because, again, I'm going to go for that position scarcity. I don't know how many tight ends we're going to see coming through in a dynasty format that are going to be exactly like Irv Smith or TJ Hawkinson. I'm going to favor the more of the offensive threat, the immediate offensive threat, and I'm going to take Irv Smith and say I need some immediate feedback there. So, <laughs> well, I'll go with Irv Smith here. All right. Great stuff, guys. Thanks so much. You guys killed it. Love all the information. Love your following you guys on Twitter. Uh, before we go, let's go ahead and tell our listeners where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find your work in general. Matt? Well, for me, uh, you guys can find me at Matty underscore S to S. Um, again, that's at Matty underscore S to S. And I, I think, you know, some of the things that I'm going to be working on, obviously I have the freshman notebook that I'm working on continuously right now, as I kind of take a look at some of those top 50 or so uh, players in the high school world and try to begin to prognosticate and tap into the, who will be the next great quarterback or, uh, you know, the next great wide receiver. So I'm working on that right now and I'm continuing to work on, you know, this idea of, you know, kind of developing uh, an evaluative lens based on more of movement science and skill acquisition. And how does that inform us better as, as evaluators? Um, So you'll see a lot of my tweets about that, um, trying to communicate that. And then obviously, just like we said, getting ready soon for next year, as we start to explore a lot of these underclassmen and saying like, wow, Oh my God, Eno Benjamin, Eno Benjamin, everybody's watching Eno Benjamin, right? You know, so we'll, we'll, we'll start seeing those come out as well. So that's what I'll be doing in the meantime. Love it. Paul, where can our listeners find you? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at, at Paulie23NY. Uh, you can also follow the S2S handle, S2S football. Uh, right now, just really starting to uh, dig into the draft projections notebook. I know, Ryan, I sent you a little bit of a teaser to use uh, over this combine weekend. So that's kind of how I, uh, I use that combine spreadsheet kind of as my foundation to start building out the draft projections notebook, which if anyone's interested in the notebooks, they can find it at our website, S2SFootball.com. And for $9.99, you get all four notebooks, the scouting notebook with over 100 player profiles, our rankings notebook with all different types of rankings. And then Matt just talked about the freshman notebook, which will come out a little bit late March, early April. And then the draft projections notebook in April as well. Keller. Yeah, and I, I have checked that out, all of, all of those products out uh, this year and in past years and definitely uh, support those and encourage everyone to go check those out. It's it's a great price and it is a ton of information. Uh, I, I'm still trying to get through last year's guys. It's <laughs> so much information. Thank you guys for joining us. We appreciate it. We'll be back next week with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>